It's Saturday, September the 4th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, disappointing US job growth and more 9-11 transparency. First, the week in brief. Employers in America added 235,000 non-farm payrolls in August, well short of analysists' expectations. Hiring was particularly weak in close contact sectors such as leisure, hospitality and healthcare. Retail shed jobs. The sluggish overall growth had much to do with a surge in cases of COVID-19. The unemployment rate fell 0.2 percentage points from July to 5.2%. President Joe Biden ordered the Department of Justice to review documents relating to the FBI's investigation into the 9-11 attacks, with a view to declassify them. Victims' relatives have long called for files to be released, in particular to learn whether investigators secretly fingered Saudi Arabia. The kingdom has always denied complicity. The 20th anniversary of the atrocity falls next week. Heavy fighting was reported in Panjshir Valley, the last holdout against the Taliban in Afghanistan. Taliban militia claimed to have conquered the province. Panjshiri fighters, who include the vestiges of the Afghan army, said they had the upper hand. Amrullah Saleh, Afghanistan's former vice president who is helping to coordinate resistance in the Panjshir, vowed not to surrender and denied rumours he had fled. Seven people were stabbed in a supermarket in New Zealand in what Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister, described as a terrorist attack. The lone wolf perpetrator, a known extremist, was shot and killed by the police at the scene. Three of the victims are in critical condition. The government said that he had been inspired by the Islamic State. Apple said it will delay the rollout of a controversial software intended to scan iPhone users' images for child pornography. The feature would have checked photos and videos in the cloud against a database of sexually exploitative images of children. The backlash from privacy advocates was swift, however. Instead, Apple will collect input and make improvements on the software. The EU will return millions of Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 jabs manufactured in South Africa. They will now be distributed to African countries. Less than 3% of Africa's population is vaccinated, and the single-shot J&J vaccine is particularly useful as it does not require ultra-cold storage, a challenge for many countries. South Africa expects to produce 500 million doses by January. And word of the week. Corporate wokeism a term referring to firms that embrace social justice while pursuing their own commercial interests. Big tech does so to appeal to its clients and keep its staff on board. And now, here's today's agenda. Power walking. Electricity from the floorboards. The smart buildings of the future could contain touch-sensitive walls, light-filtering windows, and super-insulation. According to research in Matter, a scientific journal, their floors might also serve as electrical generators. Engineers have adapted ordinary wooden planks to produce power as people walk on them. The design is simple. Two layers of spruce wood are sandwiched between metal conductors. But ordinary wood, when flexed underfoot, generates little power. To get some voltage going, the engineers coated one of the wooden panels with negatively charged silicon film. In the other, they embedded positively charged nanocrystals. An adult stepping on the doctored panel generates 80 times more output than somebody stepping on ordinary wood, enough to fuel LED lamps. Using thinner layers of wood would make the device even more efficient. 
If a larger prototype proves viable, inhabitants of smart buildings could one day tap into a power source right beneath their feet. Waking Murder Miss Marple Returns There is no detective in England equal to a spinster lady of a certain age with plenty of time on her hands. So said Agatha Christie of her creation, Miss Marple, who first appeared in print in 1927. Behind the amateur sleuth's gentle, tea-sipping exterior lay a fierce intellect and determination to break open a case. Her last such outing, Sleeping Murder, was nearly 50 years ago, but this week another murder was announced, or, more precisely, 12. Christie's estate has authorised a dozen new Marple short stories to be published next September, each penned by a different author, including Val McDermid and Alyssa Cole. Marple joins Hercule Poirot and Sherlock Holmes, two other detectives recently brought out of retirement. Her tenacious meddling has already taken her from the village of St. Mary Mead to the Caribbean, solving the untimely ends of colonels, ballroom dancers and Hollywood actresses along the way. Who knows what awaits her next? Balancing the Books Britain's Copyright Laws This week, the British government ended a consultation on intellectual property rights. Observing that Britain was no longer bound by the European Union, Kwasi Kwarteng, the business secretary, wants to open for cheaper imports. The current system is designed to prevent parallel imports of cheaper goods from abroad. Some of the mooted changes could hurt British publishing, which is anxious to defend existing copyright rules that benefit incumbents. Save Our Books a campaign group, argues that current laws allow fair pricing of British books abroad and protect the domestic market as well as authors' earnings. The Publishers Association estimates that throwing open the British market completely to foreign competition could cost the domestic firm 64% of revenue, or £2.2 billion, $3 billion, each year. Writers, whose median earnings are around £10,000 a year, could lose £506 million in income annually but readers of books, finding that more of them are available cheaply, may well be celebrating. Back to the start. Salman Rushdie embraces serialisation. The serial novel has a long history. In the 19th century, Charles Dickens made his name with monthly instalments of The Pickwick Papers, published in a journal. Cliffhangers kept readers hooked and regular instalments were cheaper than a weighty tome. The form might now have found an update for the digital age, spearheaded by Salman Rushdie. The Booker Prize-winning novelist this week announced a deal with Substack, a subscription-based blogging platform on which he will publish his next novel in a drip of digital chapters. Mr. Rushdie is the first superstar novelist to sign up to the service, which launched in 2017. He had not heard of Substack before his representatives got in touch offering a down payment, which, he notes, is far less than the usual advance from print publishers. The appeal of Substack is more romantic. Mr. Rushdie says he is embracing how the novel was in Dickens' day right at the beginning. Saturday Profile Dr. Rebecca Gompertz, Abortion Activist As a student in Amsterdam, Rebecca Gompertz was so torn between art and medicine that she studied both. She was also an activist, working as the ship's doctor aboard Greenpeace's Rainbow Warrior during a trip around Central America. 
Born in Suriname, she trained in the Netherlands to be an abortion provider but could not forget the women she had met who, through an accident of geography, were unable to access safe and legal terminations. Art, medicine and social justice met her in Abortion Ship, a gynecological clinic transported by boat which was designed and funded as an art installation. From 2001, her crew of medics sailed to places where abortions were illegal then picked up women in early pregnancy and took them to international waters. There they could legally be prescribed drugs, mifepristin and misoprostol, to end their pregnancies. On some women-on-waves missions, few abortions took place. Sometimes the boat was blocked by angry locals or even natives. But her voyages gave Dr. Gompertz a platform from which to advocate for contraception and safe abortion. As a mother who once had an abortion herself, Dr. Gompertz believes that the right to choose is a human right and that banning abortions does not stop them but only makes them more dangerous. In 2005, Dr. Gompertz set up Women on Web, an online abortion service. After a cyber consultation, translated into 22 languages, women anywhere in the world can be issued a prescription by Dr. Gompertz. If the drugs are not available in the patient's country, then prescriptions are filled in a third country, like India, and posted on. Terminating a pregnancy in America is becoming more difficult. This week, Texas outlawed abortions after six weeks. Dr. Gompertz initially avoided operating in America, fearing legal action from its fearsome anti-abortion lobby. But she was overwhelmed by requests for help and opened an American operation, Aid Access, in 2018. This year, eight doctors have joined who can legally prescribe drugs to women in 12 states. Patients are charged $95 for the drugs or nothing for those who cannot afford to pay. As Roe versus Wade comes under increasing pressure, more women may turn to Dr. Gompertz. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jean-Francois Regnard, who died on this day in 1709. We love without reason, and without reason we hate. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.